Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Kia ora everybody. Over the last few weeks, we've begun what we call Lean In on Sunday nights, physically here at our campus at Myringi Bay. We've had the vision to do this for a number of years. It's an intentional attempt to curate a space for curiosity, conversation and connection, where we have more time to explore topics and themes, to chat with one another about what gets raised and to connect in more relational ways than we do in a more traditional church service, or what we can realistically do online. The dream is that this context provides another environment for spiritual growth, because at our heart, that's what we're about as a church. At the start of Lean In last Sunday night, I got small groups of people to pick any letter of the alphabet and come up with three words about spiritual growth because any good sermon has three points that all start with the same letter, as does Lenin, curiosity, conversation, and connection. What was interesting was that as the maybe 10 or 12 groups reported back, they almost without exception said two good words about spiritual growth, but had as their third word something that recognized how hard spiritual growth is. For example, One group had three words beginning with the letter D, delightful, desirous, and yet difficult. As we come to Romans chapter 7 today, I can't help but reflect on that exercise as the Apostle Paul, the author of this letter written to the church in Rome, starts to get quite personal about the challenge of what he has been talking about up to this point in chapters 1 to 6. It's like Paul has, as we know, been doing some powerful teaching outlining the heart of the gospel, salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ for all people, trying to unite Jews and Gentiles, all the incredible things we've been talking about since we kicked off this series on the 19th of February. But he is here in chapter 7 acknowledging that it is countercultural to live in God's ways because our sinful nature or our desire to live apart from God's way is so strong. As a result of this countercultural way to go about life, it's really challenging. We might even suggest that Paul is trying to be transparent with all those he's writing to, sharing in the reality of his and our humanness, his and our inherent inclination to live selfish lives without wanting to submit ourselves to what God says brings life. We could say, in language that's familiar to us here at Windsor Park, that Paul is being honest about the challenge and the realities of doing life and faith together. It might sound good when we read it in the Bible. It might sound wonderful when we're at church, but it can become very hard when life gets in the way. So let's listen to Romans chapter 7. But to try and help you imagine that this is Paul writing to you and not me, I'm going to wear a high-vis vest. I mean, Paul was a tent maker. He was a tradie. And so this is Paul, the tent maker turned church planter, speaking to you. So Paul writes, 
Do you not know, brothers and sisters? For I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting, for apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the Lord is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Wow. There's a lot in there. So many references to law and sin, all the things we've been talking about for the last four months. 
and in particular lots of references to what Caleb talked about last week when Paul was talking about being a slave to sin. Except in this passage, he's more personalizing it. He's not just telling people that they are slaves to sin. He's acknowledging his own personal tendency to succumb to doing things that he doesn't want to do but still does. I mean, this is Paul. Apostle Paul, Saint Paul, author of significant chunks of the New Testament, generally regarded as one of the most important figures of the apostolic age who founded several Christian communities in Asia Minor and Europe from the mid-40s to the mid-50s AD, one of the most significant figures in Christian history, acknowledging that he is human, just like you and me. And that's why the Bible is so relatable. If Paul acknowledges his challenge, it it totally gives us permission to acknowledge ours. That's why we say at Windsor Park, no perfect people allowed. If we ever think we're above anyone else for any reason, or that we've got our lives sorted out before God, or that someone else's sin is greater than ours, this is not the church for you. We are all on the same level, all sinners, like Paul. The key verses that stand out for me in this passage are verses 24 to 25. What a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love this honesty. I love the contrast of these two statements. I love that these two verses contain what I call one of the greatest dynamic tensions that we have to balance for those who follow Jesus. Knowing that we are, as Paul describes, wretched sinners, but at the same time, we can live in the deep and transformative truth that we have been saved or or delivered from our wretchedness through Jesus Christ. We could say that living in this posture, in this tension, means that we are Humble sinners, gloriously saved by Christ. Now, keeping that statement in balance seems to be Paul's focus here. An acknowledgement that even after recognizing the transformation to eternal realities that comes with knowing that Jesus has taken the punishment for our sin, that we still have work to do to grow into a life that demonstrates we are living what we believe. This acknowledgement from Paul is well described in verses 14 through 20. If we were to take extracts from that section, I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. What I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do, well, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, Paul doesn't describe what the things are that he does that he doesn't want to do. But I wonder if we can think about those things for ourselves. And then I want to give you a few ideas of a way through it. Let me use a couple of personal examples of what this might mean for me. Because there are some things I can quickly identify that I do that I do not want to do. Or that what I want to do, I do not do. For example, Joe and I have often talked about wanting to have a happy life. I mean, everyone wants to be happy, right? But as we've talked about it over many years, we've come to the conclusion that happiness is highly dependent upon circumstance. 
It depends upon having certain things that we never seem able to have, or when we do get them, they're never quite as good as they seemed to be. And we quickly want something better. Happiness is fleeting, and it's inconsistent. But we still want stuff. Thinking that it will make us happy, we do what we don't want to do. The greater aspiration that we see in the Bible is contentment, worth infinitely more than happiness. One of the most transformative passages that I've read and sought to follow, but deeply struggle with, is Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, where he says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. Contentment is actually what I desire, what we desire, but for some reason, we seem to search harder for happiness. <laughs> we do what we don't want to do. <laughs> Another example for me personally of doing what I don't want to do is that of comparison. It's a struggle. In my career as a pastor, I often and still do compare myself to more successful pastors. Why can't I be like Craig Rochelle? Or more eloquent and intelligent like Tim Keller? Or why can't I grow a bigger church like Paul Dion? I mean, we're told that success by size is what pastors are judged on, right? Wrong. You can see I sometimes struggle with taking Psalm 139 into my life. I wrestle with personalizing verses 13 to 14 where the psalmist writes, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I am uniquely gifted for what God calls me to do. Without comparison, I do what I don't want to do. <laughs> From these two examples, I could reiterate Paul's words. I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin, and... What a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? But thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. What about you? What do you do that you don't want to do? Do you worry when the word of God says don't worry? Do you hold unforgiveness when the word of God says forgive? Do you gossip? Do you have envy? Do you lack love? Do you lack mercy? Paul says back in Romans chapter 1 that people in the church didn't think it worthy to retain the knowledge of God and those things were the result. Still are, evidently. The delivery from all these things and others through Jesus Christ our Lord is called spiritual growth. And this is the greatest hope I have as a pastor of a local church in suburban Auckland. That we would humbly acknowledge our imperfections our lack of, of wanting to retain the knowledge of God and yet celebrate the transformative power of God through the Holy Spirit that continues to shape who we are as sons and daughters of the King and Kings and the Lord of Lords. So how do we go about being transformed so that we lessen the chance of doing the things we don't want to do? Well, let me give you three ideas, three words, 
three things that all start with the letter W that might bring about the ongoing transformation that Paul will soon be talking about as we move into Romans chapter 8 and onwards as we go through the year. So, to bring about transformation that reduces our slavery to sin that Paul and Caleb talked about last week, let's embrace the Word. At our Windsor Park Elders meeting at the start of this week, I asked all of our team to recite their favorite memory verse that has impacted their lives. There was a range for a, a variety of reasons because they're a diverse bunch of people and a diverse bunch of backgrounds. But there's nothing sweeter than hearing the Word of God spoken aloud and hearing the impact it has made in lives. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verse 103 and 104, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. You might be aware that there are only five foundational or core doctrines that we stand on here at Windsor Park, things that we might call our essential theology. One of them says this, it's in our constitution. We believe in the inspiration of the Bible and its authority in all matters of faith and practice. The Bible is authoritative. It is God's voice, God's word to us, and it has authority in all matters of faith and life. So how are you going in your lifelong journey of reading, interpreting, studying, and applying the whole story of Scripture? Not just your favorite bits. It's a spiritual practice that brings growth. Secondly, what about embracing worship? The spiritual practice of worship has a wide application, which we, to our detriment, often limit to what we sing in church. I'm a musician. I enjoy that. But worship is infinitely wider than singing and includes a multitude of different forms. The question I want to ask is not around the form of your worship, although that's a good discussion, but who are you worshiping on Monday through Saturday? Who or what demands your greatest attention in your everyday life? In this country, in New Zealand, we worship things like sport, the economy, and house prices. On the flip side of that, listen to what the psalmist writes in Psalm 34 verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I wonder what your worship rhythm is that repetitively feeds your soul about who God is as you drive, as you work, as you relax. Worship is a spiritual practice that brings growth. Well, what about embracing wisdom? Surely one of the greatest scriptures that we can constantly remind ourselves of is what John records Jesus as saying in John 14, 26. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is so transformatively powerful. When we know that the Word, when we have a life of worship, the Holy Spirit, God with us, will teach us all things and remind us of everything that Jesus has said, which is all contained in the Bible, which we say has authority in all matters of faith and practice. This is called gaining wisdom. Listen to what Paul writes as a prayer for Christians living in Ephesus at the time. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 to 19. 
I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Our lives will be changed when we allow the spirit of wisdom to open our our eyes and our hearts so that we know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of God for his people. It's a spiritual practice that brings growth. (laughs) These three W words, words, worship and wisdom, you know, they don't happen by themselves. They only come with intentionality and repetition. And the fruit of the Spirit only comes over time as we constantly immerse ourselves in the truth that Paul has been repeating us through the first seven chapters of Romans. Righteousness by faith alone in Christ Jesus, available for all people. As we wrap up today, I want you to think about one spiritual practice that you could work on this week that will deepen your contentment in life. That will help you know more significantly than ever that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that despite being wretched people, we give thanks to God who delivers us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what I want you to do. Write that one spiritual practice that is maybe coming to mind. Write it down somewhere. Maybe on that magnetic shopping list that you have on your fridge. Maybe using a a whiteboard marker on your bathroom mirror. Or maybe by writing it on a post-it note and placing it on on the steering wheel of your car. Inspiration plus intentionality equals irrevocable improvement holistically in our lives. Who doesn't want that? And all those words started with the letter I. (laughs) So good. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that the word of God is so powerful to us. And we want to thank you for the transparency and the openness of what we have seen in Paul such a significant figure in history, and yet someone we can relate to so easily, who openly declared he does things that he didn't want to do. And in following you, Father, we confess we we are just the same. We say we want to follow you, we want to honor you, we want to worship you, and then we go and follow other things and we worship other things. We confess, as Paul said, we we are wretched sinners. But we give thanks to you because in that state, in that place, you sent Jesus Christ to take the punishment for our sin on his shoulders, to do all the work that that means that today we can enjoy reconciliation with you. We can be made righteous in your sight. We can be given hope for today and for all of eternity. Father, these are great truths that are being reiterated to us week in and week out through these opening chapters of Romans. So, Father, I pray that we might think about our our rhythms in life, our spiritual practices, about how we allow your word into our lives, about how or who we worship, about how we ask you for wisdom in the midst of the challenges that we face. Father, spiritual practices, spiritual rhythms, there are so many of them. They are so wide and so diverse as we are. So help us to hear what you might be saying to us today. 
about how we might be hearing your words, reading your Bible, reading books about your word, listening to podcasts, seeking out some, some great YouTube clips from the Bible Project. <laughs> how we might go about worshipping this week, using music or poetry or silence, or reflecting upon nature as we walk, or whatever it might be. And help us think about how we go about seeking your wisdom. How we might invite your spirit to guide our thoughts and our decisions and our attitudes. So through word, worship and wisdom, might we hear what you are asking us to take action with this week. So that over time, as we continue to follow you, as we continue to allow your spirit to guide us, Father, we will less do the things that we don't want to do and more do the things that you lead us to do, bringing your love, your mercy, and your goodness to our world. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz, and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.